It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the program. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock on kind of a stormy or at least possibly stormy Saturday morning. 70 degrees outside, a few clouds, and uh, some weather moving to the south of us, it appears. So uh, keep an eye out for that if you're out and about on this uh, weekend. Lauren Tate is with me. Good morning, Coach. Good morning. Not a good team for our favorite baseball, or not a good <laughs> night for our favorite baseball teams. The uh, Braves beat the Cardinals nine to one. Miami over the Cubs ten to two. The White Sox lost to the Astros two to one. We'll talk more about not that. Not a good day for anybody. Though. As we move along, the U.S. Open golf tournament continues. Richard Bland and Russell Henley share the lead at minus five. But, by the way, what's going on in these golf, these major golf tournaments? All these old guys coming through. Well, Richard Bland's an old guy. Uh, Russell Henley. Yeah, Russell, I guess that's old. Russell Henley is not uh, not in that category. A couple of Illinois guys did not make the cut. Thomas Dietrich had five over. Dylan Meyer didn't play well, but uh, he qualified and got in. And yeah, that's that's a that's a new uh, business when you start playing those those holes and those narrow fairways and those deep rough. And he shot seventy eight the first day, which pretty much shot him out of it right yep. there. He ended up fourteen over par, but uh, hey, he played in the U.S. Open and. It's all up from there, and that's, yep. uh, that's that's a great thing. Josh Whitman is with us in the studio. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, fellas. Good to be with you. Good to see you in person, finally. It's been a while, hasn't how, it? How about that? It has been a while. In fact, I don't know that I've been in this studio. You guys have been uh, been on the move since the last time we were uh, were together, and so it's uh, it's nice to be here. We're going to be on the move again. <laughs> I hadn't heard. Around the corner behind uh, over on uh, Fox Drive behind uh, Dave Downey's building there's a building there where th- th- this company purchased you and guys so, growing no moss good for you staying ahead of the federales huh? <laughs> <laughs> just ahead of the posse that's right well g- good to see you again and uh, you met with the media did your annual round table that I guess we didn't do that last year did we uh, we did it virtually June, last yes. year yeah that's right and uh, it was good to get together again and a lot of subjects on the table, and uh, we've got you for 30 or 45 minutes or so, so we'll get to some of those. Um, talk a little bit about the COVID situation and how that was handled and how you came out of that and how you feel about the way that the U of I came out of it. More than anything, I'm just really I'm proud and I'm grateful. Uh, I, I think that there were so many people who were involved in allowing us to have classes this year, let alone compete in college athletics and uh, really tip my hat to the University of Illinois. We've always understood what an incredible place this was, all the, the innovation that comes out of this place, all the ingenuity. Uh, but to see the university marshal all of its incredible resources towards a present-day problem and to be able to develop real-time solutions, uh, talking primarily, of course, about, about the saliva test and the SHIELD program we were able to put together to be able to test every student, every faculty member, every staff member on our campus at least twice a week, uh, really was a game changer for Illinois athletics. We were able to test our student-athletes 
in the high contact sports every day. We were able to get the results within a matter of hours, and the, ten, the test was sensitive enough that it allowed us to pull those student-athletes who were positive out of circulation before they were actually contagious. And I really give that a lot of credit for why we were able to, to get through the year without any disruption in terms of missed competition. Uh, and I can't say enough good things about uh, our sports medicine team, our student-athletes, our coaches, so many people on our staff who made sacrifices and really went above and beyond in order to allow us to play. We were literally sitting at home a year ago today, and if you'd asked me what are the chances you're going to play when uh, the, the season comes around in the fall, I, I would have said probably less than 50-50. And, and for us to move through that and get to a point where every team had a chance to, to have their competitive seasons, although some of them might have been a little shorter than we would have liked, uh, it really was an incredible accomplishment and one we're really proud of. Well, the Ohio State game, of course, Ohio State couldn't play. Did were there any other schools in the in the Big Ten who were un who played every game that they were that they were capable of playing? Was Illinois the only one? I know there were some in in certain sports. I know I think there were other schools like say in football. I think maybe Northwestern and Iowa come to mind that that were able to play all their games. But I don't know if there were any other program that played every game in every sport. Uh, and, and and there very well could have been. I just don't know if there was or not. Um, but, it, again, that was something that collectively we took a lot of pride in. And uh, I mentioned the other day, 105,000 tests over the last 12 months. 105,000 tests. Who paid for that? Did the well, university pay for that, all that? Well, there are, two, there are two pieces to that. So there are two different kinds of tests. Uh, number one was, as I mentioned, the university's shield test. And since they were – testing the university community regularly they just folded us into that we're all part of that university community so those costs were absorbed by the overall campus testing program Uh, the big tens testing platform which was a different kind of test uh, we did about 35 or 40,000 of those tests Uh, those will come through the big 10 and so the cost for those will be distributed out to all the member schools and will be part of our uh, reduced distributions from the conference over the course of this year Visiting with Josh Whitman, you said uh, the other day at your media roundtable that uh, 2021 might be the most important year in college athletics uh, in your lifetime, perhaps. Uh, tell us why you think that. That's a long answer, but I, I think there are a lot of, of different things that just happen to be coming to a head in roughly the same window of time. I, I think that the the NCAA versus Alston lawsuit, which is wound its way all the way through the federal court system now, through the Supreme Court of the United States. It's the first college athletics case that the Supreme Court has taken since the mid-1980s uh, and uh, has a chance to be incredibly consequential in terms of its uh, implications. I see Lawrence raising his hand. Can you explain that more? I mean, I, I don't understand it completely. Well, so the, so the Alston case is uh, the plaintiffs are former student-athletes, uh, the defendants are the NCAA and, and most of the member conferences at the Division One level. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's, a, it's an antitrust lawsuit. And mm-hmm. so the, the plaintiffs, the, the, the former student-athletes, are claiming that uh, the NCAA, uh, with its rules that limit the value of student-athlete compensation to the value of a scholarship, are by default a violation of federal antitrust law. So antitrust course creates competition that's the point of it and and so anything that is seen to restrict competition in an otherwise open marketplace is seen as a potential violation of antitrust law now there are a a variety of reasons why you can justify that restriction and ultimately that's the 
that's the crux of the argument from so the NCAA. So NIL would not take, would not resolve that. No, so NIL has nothing to do with the Alston case. So the the Alston case is really about what a university can quote unquote pay a student athlete. Right now, the rules limit that that compensation, if you want to call it that, to the value of a scholarship. We're able to give them tuition, books, fees, room, board, all the things that go with a traditional scholarship. Plus, here in the last six or seven years what we call a cost of living stipend. Um, and and the, the claim is that by limiting that compensation to that amount, that's a violation of antitrust laws. It's, it's by default anti-competitive. And what differentiates that from name image likeness is that the Alston claim is about what a university, the University of Illinois in our case, can directly pay to student athletes for their participation in our program. Name image likeness is different in that that's about what a third party can pay a student athlete for what we would traditionally consider an endorsement deal. And so if a student athlete, when you see Aaron Rodgers on a a State Farm commercial, for example, that's that's a name image likeness opportunity for Aaron Rodgers. That's not the Green Bay Packers paying Aaron directly. That's State Farm paying money to Aaron Rodgers. And so this that's the difference is Alston is about a university directly paying student athletes. NIL is about a third party paying student athletes. Do you get any hint or do you have any uh, advanced information on how the Supreme Court is going to rule on that? We don't. Uh, we, we, the, the oral argument was a few months back, uh, and it's, you can write a lot of books about trying to guess what the Supreme Court will do based on the questions that they ask. Uh, I did listen to the argument. It was a pretty lively discussion. There were very pointed questions from the justices, I would say, on both sides of, of the issue from both sides of the aisle. Um, and so we will see that what we do know is that the Supreme Court almost always wraps up all the cases on its docket by the end of June. Uh, and so we would expect to see a decision from them, uh, and they release opinions a few days a week. Uh, and so I, I think we saw that this week, this coming week, I believe they'll issue opinions on three days of the week. And so one of those three days, we're running out of, running out of days uh, here this month. So uh, we would expect to get a decision here fairly quickly. And, uh, and depending on how broadly or narrowly that decision is worded, and of course what the outcome is, uh, could have, have pretty broad implications for college athletics. Let's uh, stick with the name, image, likeness for a moment. Uh, the NCAA, how do you view its role in this as we move along? Well, I, I think that the NCAA is the preferred problem solver for this. I, I think it has been for a long time. I, I think that we have... Um, struggled uh, as we have on occasion with the NCAA because of the bureaucracy that it is and because of the diversity of the membership to try and get things done in a timely way. I I think that philosophically we have all understood that name image likeness was a place where we needed to go in terms of developing a new paradigm and allowing our student athletes to to benefit from their own celebrity, if if you will. Um, and we just have, have struggled to get things accomplished. And unfortunately, when something like this is, is on the docket and you're not able to fill the void yourself, then people move to try and fill the void for you. And uh, what we have seen now is uh, the states, of course, stepping in to fill that void, understanding that there needs to be a, a new environment around name, image, likeness, including now the state of Illinois. Um, and now the federal government is, is trying to get involved as well. And I I think from our perspective, and I think this is a perspective that's shared by most of my colleagues, the preference is to have a, what we would call, quote unquote, a national solution. 
the, Absolutely. the, the patchwork set of different state laws leads to a, a very uh, different playing field across the country, depending on which state you happen to be in. And so we would rather see, and we know that, uh, look, college athletics is inherently uh, unfair, right? I mean, there, there are always differences in the playing field, but we should at least try to create the most level playing field that we can. And, and really that only will be accomplished either through NCAA rules making, which would be probably our first choice, or at least historically would have been our first choice, or um, perhaps more to the point now, uh, federal legislation. I'm going to swing you over. <laughs> excuse me. I'm going to swing you over to the <coughs> construction going on on campus over here uh, with so many uh, new additions, and you just added uh, soccer and and uh, track. Uh, when I asked you the other day about, you said that the last four golf, baseball, softball, and um, what am I forgetting? Uh, basketball, uh, bas- basketball, oven are all paid for. When you say that, are these? Uh, are, I would assume that. that and I didn't ask you this. This is uh, some of this is long-term pledges that would. I mean, so you have to borrow the money to, to, uh, till the pledge comes in. Is that correct? I mean, uh, you do explain that a little more for me. Sure. So in, in fundraising, when we go out and, and generate resources, and we've been very successful and productive on the fundraising trail, I give a lot of credit to Howard Milton and our entire development team. I, I mentioned the other day we've raised almost two hundred million dollars here over the last five plus years. And mo- most of that, much of that has been committed towards facilities projects. Uh, but when we, when we receive those commitments, rarely does someone actually stroke a check for the full amount the day mm-hmm. that they make the gift. And somebody says, well, I'll give you $5 million. Occasionally, they'll write us a check for $5 million. But usually, it's, I'll give you a million dollars a year for five years, or I'll give you half a million dollars a year for 10 years, or whatever the, whatever the math might be. Uh, and so what we do is on the front end, you know, the people who build these things, they have a habit of wanting to be paid at the time that they, that they do their work, which we, I think we all understand. And so uh, depending on the size of the project, depending on the, the pledges that we have committed towards the project and the length that those pledges will occur over, um, then we'll structure a, a debt instrument uh, to match up with the, the cash flow that will come in from, from the gifts. Over X number of years. Right. And so that's how we get the money on the front ends to pay the people who are doing the work. Um, and so essentially, as I said the other day, debt for us, when it's used in a responsible manner, and this is true for anybody, not just us, you know, allows us to match our expenditures with the timing of our cash flow. And so we're able to say, look, here's what our, our, our expenditures will look like over time to repay this debt instrument. That matches with the, the cash flow commitments that we have from these donors and that allows us to do the projects. Have pledges turned out to be pretty much 100% uh, or, or have you had pledges that, that uh, were rejected? Well, we're not, we rarely have pledges that are rejected. Occasionally we'll have donors who withdraw. Uh, and, well, and so that they'll, Yeah, they'll, they'll, that, that does happen on occasion. Um, but we're, we're pretty good uh, about understanding. Most of these donors, you've got to realize, these are people we have long-term relationships with. Mm-hmm. These are not people who just walk in off the street and say, hey, I want to give you $10 million. I wish it happened that way. It doesn't. <laughs> so we spend a lot of time developing rapport with these folks, building trust with them. Uh, they're heavily invested with us, not just financially, but emotionally and otherwise. And so they're they're really pretty good about so coming through on those pledges. the total amount of your debt is not necessarily accurate because you have money coming to pay for that debt, which makes it a, a moving number. It's... It, I would say, I mean, the amount of debt is, 
is accurate, but it's an incomplete narrative mm-hmm. around the picture of our finances. Uh, of our finances, is we we understand that um, you know we it's like anything else. I mean, if you were to go out and buy a house, the bank's going to want to know: Do you have the, the capacity to pay the mortgage that we're going to issue you on that house? The university's no different. You know, we have to go through an incredibly nuanced and robust approvals process through the entire university system to obtain debt to, to handle these projects. And so we have to show them, here's where our cash flow is going to come from over the life of these loans. And, uh, and so those four projects, to go back to where you started, Lauren, on baseball, softball, basketball, golf, those are all being, and, and actually golf was, was one of those rare instances where we had an anonymous donor who stroked a check for the entire amount yeah. at the beginning. And so th- that's not even really part of it. The other three are all um, those are all been those are all being funded with gifts that have been pledged on windows of ten years or less, and so they will all be fully paid and, and gone off the books in less than a decade, and that's something that we're we're excited about and proud of. Speaking of golf, I've been keeping my eye on the Atkins Golf Course over that the, the former Stone Creek Golf Course in Urbana. A lot of work getting done there. The greens are gone and they're going to be reshaped and. There's some uh, new tees being built. Give us an update on that project. We're excited about that. And again, so grateful to the Atkins family. It's one of the most unique gifts that we've ever received, certainly that I've ever received. And and the full scope of that project with the golf course, the real estate parcels, (coughs) excuse me, uh, around the golf course, some of the the uh, undeveloped real estate that's there as well. Uh, all in, it was uh, several hundred acres. It was $15 million in value. And uh, just really looking forward to uh, what that golf course and everything that comes with it will mean to the university and to the athletic program. Uh, we now have, we were gifted 104, I believe is the number, real estate parcels in the, the uh, developments around the golf course. We've now succeeded in selling 31 of those uh, parcels. I think there's a real energy right now around the Stone Creek development. Uh, and so I think people are excited about the university coming in, providing stability and, and a really high level golf experience there. We've got a new restaurant tour we'll be announcing here over the course of the summer that'll have a, a farm to table concept there in the old Addie's uh, space uh, there at the, at the golf course. And the golf course itself, I, I think is really just going to be fantastic championship level. Obviously our coaches, Mike and Renee have a a strong vision for what they want there for their programs. But also I think it's going to find that right balance between uh, high-level golf but also being accessible and, and, and playable by the general public as well. Probably, not probably, it'll be the highest-level course in town. But people who are serious about golf will still be able to go out there and enjoy it, and uh, we're, we're committed to, to doing that for the community. Certainly don't want to rush a project like that, but do you anticipate uh, golf being played there this calendar year? I think perhaps on a limited basis, mm-hmm. uh, things got slowed down a little bit during the pandemic. Uh, we were originally hoping to have it open at some point this summer or this fall. I think we may do some limited play in the fall, depending on how things progress here over the next couple months. Uh, but in terms of a, a, a grand reopening to the public, I would say that'll be in the spring of 22. Of course, everybody knows that the university operates two other golf courses, the orange and the blue. Any update on the future of, of those two courses? Not, nothing to share right now. We understand that, obviously, we're very, now the very proud owners of three golf courses, <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll have to see. We're, we're putting a lot of energy now into just getting the Atkins Club up and off the ground, getting it operational, getting uh, people engaged there with, with our new facility. Uh, and then once we're able to do that, we'll step back and, and take a good look at 
all three courses and figure out what makes sense going forward. Talking to Josh Whitman, it's 920. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. Need to take a quick time out. We'll do that and be back with more right here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Nine twenty-three. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate visiting with Josh Whitman. Lauren, take it away. Well, I, I want to get into the twelve-team uh, playoff, and uh, I think it's a boon for teams like Illinois. And I say it like Illinois because I saw last year where Cincinnati, Iowa State, and Indiana would have been in the playoff, and for them that would be like. Not a championship, but a, a, a great accomplishment, and I would think that would be something that would fit into the goals of Illinois. And you, in order, to, you're going to have to win the West in order to do it, probably. But don't you think it's a good idea for for football? I think increased access to the playoff makes great sense. I, I think that you know, as you look at the statistics, they've I think there've been 28 playoff appearances. We've had seven years of the playoff, four teams a year, uh, and in my understanding, it's it's 80, 82 percent, some number of those spots have been occupied by five schools. Uh, and so I, I think the idea that we can provide greater access, greater diversity amongst the participants, I, I think is obviously good for the, for the game of college football. Uh, I do think that there are a lot of details that we have to work through. Uh, I, I think that there are things that have just been inherently part of the culture and tradition of college football that we have to figure out how that how that works. The bowl the bowl system is obviously the most the most apparent example. Is what does this mean for all the bowl games uh, and, and including the, the really prominent bowl games, the Rose Bowl, of course, being first and foremost among them for us. Um, but then also the rest of the bowl games. What does it mean for the for the six and six teams and the seven and five teams who are pushing to get into that postseason? Do those opportunities still exist to the same level? Um, I, I think that's that's been such a part of the fabric of college football, and we want to try and protect it the best we can. Well, there'd be another thirty or so bowls that would not be involved in the in the playoff, as I understand it. I, I think that's right. The details obviously are still still pretty fluid, um, but there there would be far more bowls not involved in the in the playoff system than there would those who that are. I hear a little talk, a, a little buzz about maybe doing away with divisions. Do you see that as any possibility in the Big Ten? That hasn't been something we've talked about. It uh, doesn't mean that it, it couldn't get put on the docket at some point in time. But uh, right now we've, we've been so focused on some of these other issues that we've been talking about, whether it's certainly COVID has, has kind of overshadowed everything here for the last 15 months. But uh, NIL, Alston, the open transfer now is another issue that we haven't talked much about. So those are all things that have, have really garnered our attention. We've now been talking more about the playoff expansion, uh, but we haven't really spent any time talking about the format of, of Big Ten play itself. To stay with football, you made uh, kind of a stealth hire, I think, with uh, Brett Bielma. Talk a, a little bit about uh, what you've seen from him. Out, uh, everybody knows he hadn't played the game yet, but he's been on the job for six months. I think he's been exceptional. I, I really can't say enough good things about the way that he's come in, had a strong plan, great vision for, for what he wants to accomplish, and he's been very um, thoughtful in how he's gone about it, very sequential. Uh, started for me with his with his coaching staff. I think he recruited just an exceptional group of guys. I've had a chance to get to know them better, of course, here over the last several months and, and just couldn't be more impressed with, with who they are, the way they represent this university. Uh, and I think you're seeing that then spread out to the team. Our, our guys are 
very excited to be a part of the Illinois football program right now. There's smiles on their faces. There's great energy in the building. Uh, I think it's a testament to the environment they're creating there that we had 20-plus of these quote-unquote super seniors want to come back, the most of any school in the country. Uh, I give a lot of credit to, to Coach B and, and the crew for putting a, a vision in front of those guys that, that entice them to come back and be a part of this for another round. Uh, and then the work that he's doing on the recruiting front, I think, is really notable, and in particular here within the state. Uh, I've been fortunate to be a part of their official visit weekends here the last three weekends, and um, there's just great uh, enthusiasm right now around Illinois football. They've got a great weekends put together that I think are, are leaving really uh, meaningful impacts on, on the recruits, their families. Um, so everything is, is pointing the right direction. And, and maybe the thing that's impressed me the most, actually, and, and everything that he's done has is, is really uh, been a positive for me, but uh, going out onto the field during spring football and, and watching him interact with our team, uh, he's a teacher. And, and that's something that really got me excited, the way that he would stop drills, address the entire group, make sure he provided context and, and understanding around uh, what we were doing out there. He, he repeatedly tells him, look, we're not just going through the motions. We are learning about the game of football. And I think that can't help but be of assistance when the, the lights come on and the ball gets kicked off for real this fall. No pressure, Coach. Uh, that first game's a Big Ten game on national TV when basically nobody else is playing. But uh, it's a great opportunity as well against Nebraska. It's a great opportunity for us. I, I think for all of us involved with Illinois football to be the first high major football game coming out of the pandemic to play in week zero, uh, noon kickoff, Fox Television, national platform, uh, big time opponent with Nebraska, Coach B's first game. I, I just think it's it's really teeing itself up to be a, a premier weekend and I hope our fans will really wrap their arms around it, uh, be excited to get back down here into Memorial Stadium, get back into the tailgating lots, the marching Illini, the cheerleaders, the whole nine yards and uh, get out there and, and have a great showing against the Cornhuskers. Josh, how did you swing that two years in a row? You got Wyoming coming in here for a zero. I would think everybody would want to play on zero week, and yet Illinois is going to be doing it two years in a row. Two years in a row, and I, and I give a lot of credit to our football staff. They they really helped to identify that. But that was really the, the second year the Wyoming kick uh, happened largely because Wyoming is playing in Hawaii that year. And, and when you play in Hawaii – you are automatically granted an opportunity to, to start your regular season one week earlier. Why? Uh, I think because of the, the travel involved travel. with Hawaii, okay. so you're able to you're yeah. able to add a, a bye week on one side or the other of that trip. Uh, and so our group recognized that that Hawaii was, or that uh, Wyoming was playing in Hawaii, and that we were one of the the bumper games on either side of that that matchup with Hawaii, and so it gave us a chance without having to jump through a bunch of hoops. To, uh, to get that week zero contest. The folks at Wyoming were open to it, and it, it worked out for us. Where is Andy Dixon going to sit in that game? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I just saw Andy the other day. I know he's, <laughs> uh, he's going to be uh, a cowboy on top and a line eye down below or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he'll be doing, but uh, that's, a, that's a great question. But that's that's a tremendous advantage, I would think, to get that that first. And then you probably have a buy along the way, which it, helps. Too. It makes a lot of sense. And, and you think about, for us especially, you know, we'll have a – uh, a less experienced team next year than we do this year. We'll lose all these guys who were back for their additional year in 21. Uh, and so rather than open up with Wisconsin, which was our original week one opponent, chance to open up with Wyoming at home instead of Wisconsin on the road uh, is, is obviously a, a big benefit. And then you add in uh, a second bye week, as you mentioned, Lauren, which I think will pay big dividends as Speaking well. Speaking of next year, 
I know that a lot of coaches around the country are, are talking about getting more involved with the transfer portal as opposed to the high schools. And here's my question for you. If, if you bring in – and they do and they do that because – and they're going to do that because they see the opportunity once you bring in a transfer, he can't necessarily just up and leave the next year and be eligible. What, are, what is the rule about a transfer who decides to transfer in terms of his eligibility in that next year? So somebody who looks to transfer for a second time? Yeah. So the, the immediate eligibility applies only one time. Uh, to somebody who's transferring now the the only potential now that, that doesn't let me back up so if somebody transfers once under the newly passed legislation they don't have to seek a waiver they don't have there are no additional steps they can come into the new school they're automatically eligible to compete at that mm -hmm. new school right away uh, if they choose to transfer a second time then they have to go through the waiver process at the NCAA and and the NCAA is what they're calling raising the standard of that waiver. Okay. And so, what, as we all know, the waiver process here in the last few years had gotten a little bit uh, watered down, and, and the waivers were happening Loose. pretty fast. They had. <laughs> and, and that was really one of the reasons for changing the rules in the first place was we recognized that the waivers were being granted pretty frequently. And so we thought, well, why even make them go through the, the steps of applying for the waiver? Um, and so now if somebody wants to transfer a second time, They'll still have to go through the waiver process, but the waiver the waiver standard will be raised fairly dramatically so that it will not be as uh, as easily accessible as it has been here in recent years. As you may have noted in your athletic career as a player and an administrator, fans seem to get fixated on some unusual things from time to time, and uh, not the least of which this summer has been the hiring of the third basketball assistant. <laughs> and you mentioned that the other day and just uh, basically told them to relax, is that... Uh, the process is underway, and uh, we'll know soon. I, you said it better than I could, Steve. <laughs> I, I think that you know, the reality is that I, I know, and I appreciate this. I, I love how interested our fans are. I love how engaged they are with with all of our student athletes in our programs, but especially with Illinois basketball. And uh, all we can say is that uh, it's it's moving along. It's not like we're sitting around, you know, twirling our thumbs and, and wondering what's going to happen. Coach Underwood's got a great plan. He's had some really productive conversations and. As I said the other day, it really is more just about timing uh, than it is anything else. And uh, once we have the ability to share more, we will. But uh, we're, again, very fortunate now. We've got one of the top programs in the country. We've got one of the top coaches in the country. And we'll have one of the top staffs in the country. And I've got great confidence in that. And um, obviously, I'm, I'm fortunate because I'm privy to more information. But everything's going to be fine. And, and once we're able to, to discuss it more, we, we will. Speaking of privy to more information, uh, is – is it fair to say that Kofi still has the option to return Kofi Coburn if uh, if he decides not to go professional? That's a, unless you know more than I do. Absolutely, well, yes. I'm talking about agent, possibly. You know, as far as, as you know, as far as I know, we we would welcome Kofi back with open arms. That uh, decision will have to be made by what around the July seventh, July, I think, yeah, 7th. early July, I believe. Yeah, had a text question back on the NIL. How does NIL work with students if they sell clothing that the university gave them? Oh. Yeah, I think we will likely have some restrictions on their ability to sell clothing while they're still an athlete. What we don't want to get into a situation is 
all of a sudden, one of our athletes is coming in every day saying, hey, I need a new pair of shoes. <laughs> right. And, well, what happened to your other one? Well, I don't know. They just they just disappeared right. out of my apartment, and actually they're they're online selling them. So I, I think that there will – we have seen some situations come up now where former student-athletes are selling their gear online. I think that will continue to be available to them. Um, but what we, what we will have some probably internal policies that limit is obviously we're giving them gear – to help facilitate their their participation. And so we don't want that to become a, a revolving door where they're taking it in the morning and selling it right. in the afternoon. That, that won't be part of what we do. Kind of along that same line, and, and we don't know because this has never happened, but as far as management of all this, in other words, hey, coach, I'm going to be late for practice. My agent's got me doing a photo shoot at the local car dealer. <laughs> How's that going to work? I mean, do we, we don't know, I guess, but. We don't know, but but we'll have the ability to set some policies internally around how these things are are handled. And we've got a great group, as I mentioned during the the roundtable the other day, that's that's working diligently to try and flesh some of this out. Um, but we know that academics will need to continue to be a priority uh, because it's not just conflicts with practice that might exist, but it could be practice or conflicts with with class, for example. And so we need to make clear to them that they know that. These are the places they need to be, and then they can fill in the gaps as, as they need to or want to. Um, but it, it is an evolving landscape. The, the, the world is changing a bit under our feet, and we know that whatever rules we have in place come July 1, when the state law goes into effect, uh, may be very different if there is uh, a change in NCAA legislation or if the federal government does step in. We'll need to be prepared to, to pivot again and, and continue to modify as we go. Part of that evolving landscape is sports gambling college sports gambling and I thought you took a pretty strong stand the other day could you kind of reiterate that for the people that may have not heard that well I I think just to give everybody a little bit of history so up until two-ish years ago there was a federal law that prohibited gambling on sports except in a couple of states right Las Vegas Nevada and um, uh, maybe New Jersey I can't remember and um, and then the, the Supreme Court came up with a decision that said that that federal law was unconstitutional. Uh, And so that opened the gates to allow states to uh, allow uh, sports gambling. And so what we saw following that Supreme Court decision was we had a number of states who rushed to pass uh, state laws that that would open the doors for gambling on sports. Illinois was among those states. um, And I, along with the other 12 Division I athletic directors in the state, this is two years ago, uh, advocated with the state lawmakers to carve out college sports. We felt like there was a bright line between college sports and, and professional sports. We still feel that way. Uh, the state lawmakers agreed to a point, and their compromise was, well, we're not going to prohibit people from gambling on all college sports, but we will uh, prohibit them from gambling on our state's college sports. And, and we took that as a victory. We thought that was, that was helpful. Uh, not, it wasn't as far as we wanted them to go, but it was, it was certainly better than, than nothing, and, and we took it as, as a victory. Two years later, there now is, is movement underfoot to try and remove that, that carve-out, that prohibition on gambling on in-state sports. Uh, it, it feels a little frustrating to us because nothing's changed since we did it two years ago. There were good reasons that the state folks agreed to do it two years ago. Those good reasons continue to exist today. Uh, and so I, I've kind of become the, I guess, the public face of this position, but it is a position that's shared by every Division One athletic director in the state, and I think it's important 
people know that we've we've written a joint letter uh, that's been shared widely with with state lawmakers with the governor's office uh, and and really it comes down to a, a couple different things for us number one is we want to make sure we're protecting the integrity of our games and we feel like college athletics because of the format occurring on a college campus with college students not just playing the games but working around the teams uh, creates a more uh, what, do I, what would I call it accessible environment right our, our student athletes are on campus every day and they're sitting next to people in classes they're we've got student workers around the football team our guys are living in apartments or living in dorms the opportunity to access information is out there the opportunity to get to our student athletes who aren't making millions of dollars as their their professional counterparts are is much more readily available than than in the professional context and then secondly and and probably more importantly right now is the is the physical and mental health and well-being of our student athletes and we have seen a really alarming increase in negative social media traffic directed at our student athletes and and Negative, probably not. Probably it, it does understate the tenor of these communications. They're they're abusive. Is no other way to call it. I mean, they they are they are bullying. They are vile. They are ugly, um, and and they're directed at 18, 19, 20 year olds um, when they miss a shot, drop a pass, miss a kick, uh, make a play that that has a negative consequence for their contest, and that's become a, a major point of concern. We've seen mental health problems tick up amongst our student-athlete populations. Um, and so we feel like by opening that door more widely uh, within the state, we're just encouraging people to engage in that kind of activity with, with our student-athletes. And, and we know we can only control what we can control. If somebody lives in Danville and they really desperately want to bet on Illinois, they can drive 20 minutes to the east into Indiana and they can place a bet on, on Illinois and then they can drive back home. But I don't gamble. That that seems like a pretty significant hurdle to me. I don't have 40 minutes in a day to drive across the state line, place a bet, and and drive back. And uh, and I know some people are doing it illegally, uh, but I also don't think that just because something's happening illegally, that's valid justification to make it legal. Uh, and uh, and and I think that if you did make it legal, you'd be opening that door that much more widely for people to engage with our students. And and that's something that um, I know myself and and the other athletic directors feel is a a bad place for us to be. We're 40 minutes in with Josh Whitman, Illinois Athletic Director, and, and I am shocked that Lauren has not mentioned the H word yet, hockey. <laughs> well, I, I was interested in your comments, but I, I think you're right in a position where you just don't know yet what's going to happen that way, in that regard. Oh, on hockey? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's right. I, I think you know we, of course, needed to to regroup after after the pandemic, uh, we we hit the pause button fairly publicly a year plus ago when the pandemic hit. We were really close to getting that project across the finish line. I tell you, if you ever want to play a fun game, if you're out one night having some some pops with your friends, Lauren, something for you to think about is ask people what Illinois athletics looks like if the pandemic doesn't happen. Just think about play that one out in your mind. Like if if, if the pandemic doesn't happen what's different about Illinois athletics today versus where it was in March of, of 2020. And I've done that on some of my long runs. And when I'm sitting there laboring on that stupid Peloton bike early in the morning, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a fun, fun game to play with yourself. Um, but, but one of those things is I think we're probably down the, down the tracks on starting a college hockey program. Yeah. And, um, 
And so now we've had to obviously reassess and, and we're going to restart some conversations. We had a lot of people and, and more, more to the point entities, whether it was government entities, private entities, partners who had come to the table to help us get that project off the ground. And we just need to, to bring them back around the table and, and reassess, say, okay, where, where's everybody at? Is this still something that you're interested in doing? Does it make sense? And uh, and then try and chart a new path That's forward. That's a complicated assemblage of, of of organizations you're trying to bring together. There it looks to it, me like it was really complicated, yeah. and it was it was a feat to get to get everybody coordinated a year plus ago, and it'll be another feat to get to get the group back together again. And um, but we've come so far with it that we need to at least reopen the discussion and see uh, see what we might be able to do. Josh, we appreciate your time. Good to see you again, and hopefully we'll, we'll do it again before that first football game. And uh, it's, it's fun to be thinking about things returning to somewhat normal anyway. It is. I, I hope you you guys feel it. I hope our fans feel it. It certainly is different just on campus and around this athletic program. This Some of it comes with the energy that always comes with summer and, uh, and the thoughts about the, the start of a new year, but uh, it's more than that this year. You can feel – uh, the return to activity. We're starting for the first time to bring our staff back in on some of our into some of our offices. Some of our staff have been working in person really throughout the entire pandemic experience, uh, but a lot of our administrative staff, some of our behind the scenes folks, have been home from from the beginning, and we're just now starting to sequence them back into the office. and And it just brings great energy. It's nice to see people in person again, and uh, we're looking forward to a great fall. and And hope our folks, our fans, will uh, will come out and support us. Uh, I think there's going to be incredible excitement around this football team, the volleyball team, the soccer team. We've got a brand-new soccer facility. We're excited for our fans to experience this year. Uh, lots to look forward to in 21-22 for the Fighting Illini. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks, guys. That's Josh Whitman. We'll be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk in just a moment. Stay with us. Nine forty-seven. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you until – 11 o'clock today, as usual, thanks to Illinois Athletic Director Josh Whitman for spending about 45 minutes with us, kicking off uh, the show this week. Now we're happy to welcome into the program David Kaplan from Chicago with an update on Chicago sports activities. David, how are you doing this morning? I am awesome. Great to be on with you guys, as always. And the Cubs off uh, coming off a uh, loss last night, as are the Cardinals and the White Sox, so the uh, three local teams that uh, people in this part of the uh, state care about uh, on the losing end, but the Cubs still have a one-game lead in the National League Central Division. Your thoughts on the way they're playing at uh, 39 and 31 on the season? Well, they've dealt with so many injuries. They're still hanging in there. They got the one-game lead. Um, Milwaukee lost last night. The Reds lose. <laughs> The Cubs, I was there, and I was excited. I had the day off yesterday. It was so nice. I don't ever get a Friday off. And I hung out all day. I worked out. I went downtown, went to dinner outside, and then <laughs> met the ball game. It's one nothing. Peterson hits a homer. Hey, this is cool. And then the wheels came off. Zach Davies was awful. I mean, simply awful yesterday. And it was unfortunate, but those are going to happen. In a 162-game season, you're going to have days where you want to take the game safe, as the late Lou Henson used to say, and just drop it in the garbage and let's go on and forget about that game. And so that's what you do. You get a cup of coffee this morning, and you wake up and try and, as Lou Pinello would say, just find a way to win a baseball game. I don't care if it's on an error. I don't care if you score 20 runs or if you win one to nothing. 
find a way to win a game because they've had so many injuries. They don't have great depth in their rotation. Bullpen has been excellent. So just keep your head above water and force upper management's hand, which is what the player's mantra is in that room, force their hand. Uh, As one of the players said to me, screw their plan. Their plan was get rid of Darvish, watch our team struggle, and then blow it up. Screw that plan. And so that's motivating these guys. And they still have a one-game lead despite having to go to San Francisco, go to San Diego. They do have a trip coming up to L.A. Uh, They've dealt with the trip to New York and Jacob deGrom and all of it. So find a way to win today and tomorrow, and you win a series. But worry about today first. Cardinal fans wouldn't wouldn't, uh, have minded had uh, Zach Davies been terrible. (laughs) What was that, Sunday night? Yeah, he was awesome against the Cardinals. Look, you know that of any team in any sport, I dislike the St. Louis Cardinals more than any team in any sport. But I also have the ultimate respect that they've won 11 rings and they've got a really, really awesome organization. I just think they're, they have a lousy team this year. I don't think they're very good at all. And losing Flaherty potentially for the season is what we're hearing uh, is no joke. That guy's a top-end starter. And I just don't think the Cardinals have the appetite to go and pay a huge prospect haul to go get whoever it is, Max Scherzer or one of these guys on – a bad team that might get moved because they're going to be a free agent. Uh, the Cubs might, like last night, it was packed in there. They're bringing in a lot of money. The Cubs might have the appetite to go make a deal, and the guy that they're targeting is Jose Barrios of the Minnesota Twins. Minnesota has a bad team. He has one year left of control. He makes $6 million this year. Oh, and by the way, he's Javier Baez's brother-in-law. So <laughs> there's a lot that fits there now you would pay a steep price you would give up a really elite prospect and met miguel amaya somebody like that i don't know if the cubs are willing to do that but if you get to july and it's the 15th the 18th the 21st and we're approaching the deadline and you're still in first or hanging around the top there is no scenario where you can blow your team up you just can't do it well, who's going to pay uh, the the three big salaries that are going to come out of this if if they don't uh, if they don't make a deal? Who's going to pay Bryant? Well, I think if Chris continues to play at the level that he's playing at, he's got an OPS north of nine hundred, and he is mm-hmm. the most versatile superstar in the game. Yep. I mean, I love Mike Trout. I know he's out with an injury, but. You don't see Mike Trout at third base for a day. Hey, Mike, uh, Mike, can you go play left tomorrow? Yeah, I got you. Hey, can we move you to right for the next two? Can you move over to center? Jock Peterson's you know, banged up, and he can't play, for example. Or uh, Rizzo's back is tight. Can you go play first? And he does it at an all-star level, and he does it with a smile on his face. Like, you don't find that in sports, especially in baseball. Baseball, those guys will always tell you they're the most routine-oriented. I need to know what number I'm batting in the lineup, and I need to know what position I'm playing. Not Chris Bryant. Oh, you need me to hit second today? Got it. Oh, you need me to clean up? Got it. Right field? Don, I'm in. That guy, you better understand what you're letting go if you do walk away from him. What do you expect to happen in in the final analysis? Can they keep everybody? No. First of all, they would say to you, well, hold on a minute. We've had all these guys and we have not climbed back to the top of the mountain since 2016. Uh, 
17, they eked their way past Washington to get to the NLCS and then got steamrolled four games to one. 18, your team president at the time, who I adore, Theo, his end-of-the-year press conference was, our offense broke. It's broken. And they did nothing to fix it. And then 2019, again, your offense is broken. 2020, you scored one run in two home playoff losses and got eliminated two games to none to the Marlins, who are in dead last this year. So, again, they have the money to do this, but you can't tie your hands going forward if you don't think you're good enough. Now, they finally do have a wave of prospects that aren't quite ready, but remember the names Brennan Davis, outfielder, stud, top 20 prospect in the game. Uh, Miguel Amaya, catcher. But if you're signing Wilson Contreras, who's 28 years old, well, then you don't need Miguel Amaya. You could trade him in a deal to get a Jose Barrios. So having what they call redundancy in your system allows you to make other moves. In the end, I think they'll sign Rizzo, and they'll sign one of the other three. And the other two, if they stay in the race, they're going to have to let him go walk out the door for potentially nothing because the collective bargaining agreement today says, okay, if you offer a qualifying offer to Chris Bryant, for example, he signs with the Dodgers, for example, you get a compensation pick at the back end of the first round. That's it. Well, the new collective bargaining agreement hasn't been agreed to, and it's up after this season. You may get nothing. The new agreement could say no compensation. That's what the Players Association wants, no compensation, so that guys can get on the market faster. So we'll see. Another couple of minutes with David Kaplan in Chicago. The White Sox, like the Cubs, also a lot of injuries, but uh, the Sox have a three-and-a-half game lead over Cleveland in uh, the American League Central. They lost last night at Houston 2-1. to one. Well, What do you see with them? Do you see them getting some of those guys back, making any kinds of moves as we approach the midway point in the season? I do think they'll make moves. Rick Hahn has said that they have money to make moves, but it has to be the right move. They're not going to bankrupt their future to go get a stopgap second baseman. Let's say there's a good second. Not an all-star, not a long-term fit, and they have to give up Michael Kopech or Garrett Crochet. They're not going to do that. But make a deal with Pittsburgh for a couple prospects and take the money of Adam Frazier because Madrigal's done for the year after hamstring surgery. That's definitely possible. They do need another right-handed arm in their bullpen, even if Kopech comes back. So they've got to get that addressed. And then they just cleared Aloy Jimenez for baseball activities. That does not mean that he could be in the lineup tomorrow. He is at least a month away from beginning a rehab assignment as he deals with that shoulder injury that he had. And then Luis Robert, they say he's making progress, but hips are funny things, man. It's easy to fix a broken bone. It's easy to fix an elbow, shoulders, hips. Those things are really tricky, and if you're not careful, you can cause irreparable harm to the human body. So we'll see about Luis Robert. I think they end up going out and adding some type of a bench bat who could spot start in the outfield and a bullpen arm. That's what I think they do, unless, God forbid, there's a more major injury. Okay, David, brace yourself now. Where will the Bulls, Bears where will the Bears be playing in, let's say, six years from now? Wow, that's a really good question, Lauren. I think that there's a two-fold reason why they made the offer to buy Arlington Park, where I was yesterday, yeah. uh, Thursday I went out there. 
and they're serious. They want to buy this property. It'll cost them a lot of money, but you know, to you and I to buy a property for whatever it is, 50, 100 million, whatever it is, that sounds like insane money. They're worth $4 billion. They can walk into any financial institution and finance anything they need to do. And Arlington Heights would love to have a dome stadium, retractable roof that could have outdoor events, indoor events, concerts, conventions, Final Fours, all of it, bowl games. You could do so much. And then you've been to Arlington Park. You have Route 53 on one side. You've got I-92 seconds away. You've got the private airport at uh, Chicago Executive in Wheeling. And you've got O'Hare, what, 15 minutes away, 20 so you have all the infrastructure you need. I'm going to say, wow, Lightfoot took a shot at them on Twitter. I'm going to say that the city can't find a way to get it done, and within the next decade, the Bears have built a new stadium. Really? And what happens? Somebody, again, what, it's a long shot, but I still see it. What happens uh, to the area where they're playing now? What happens? That's a that's such a congested area. There's no parking <laughs> that I can find anyway. What do you what do you think happens there? Well, I mean, the city could use it certainly for Chicago public school events. They could use it for soccer. They could come up with a multitude of reasons. But let's assume that the city says to the Bears, "Okay, we'll upgrade your stadium." Well, you already did that once. For you remember when they played down in Champaign, so you already did that. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have the same footprint where you don't have parking, where you don't have enough facility. Are you expanding that thing from the 65,000 to the 85,000? 20,000 seats, a lot of money. Are you putting a dome on it? Where are you getting that money in this dead broke city that I happen to live in? So I can't believe the Bears and the NFL aren't going to look at Arlington Park and go, all right, we'll take our time here. Like if you follow the Hollywood Park in L.A., model that was sold to a developer that developer had a relationship with the ownership of the rams and the nfl and they ran for three more years they ran horses while they got the property ready they did all the surveys and the site studies and all of it they got the infrastructure how they wanted it and then now they're playing their first game with fans in this beautiful stadium that cost three billion dollars now they don't have weather to deal with in l.a can you imagine if all of a sudden the Final Four was in Arlington Heights or the Democratic or Republican convention? I mean, the, the amounts of money that you could generate from a tax basis is massive. And then add in casino, sports book, shopping, dining. It would be <laughs> incredible. I can't believe they'll let that opportunity pass. You know, you are a wealth of information, David. We really appreciate you coming on with us. Thank you very Lauren, much. I've been friends with you. Do you know how long? I remember having dinner with Lauren and Jim in West Lafayette at the hotel before yep. they went over to call the game, and I sat behind the Illinois bench in 1989 when the Illini lost to the Purdue Boilermakers. I think Everett Stevens was in there. It was an amazing, amazing environment. One of the best college environments I've ever been to. Yep. And I've been friends with Lauren, God, it's 40 years. Oh, at least. <laughs> at no least. question. Thanks a lot, Cappy. Anytime you need me, you got me. All righty. 
That's David Kaplan from Chicago. We've hit uh, 10 o'clock, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, hour number one of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk is in the books. We'll be back with hour number two after this. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the program, everybody. We're streaming along till 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397 if you'd like to join us. Thanks to Josh Whitman for spending 45 minutes with us this morning. And to David Kaplan from NBC Sports in Chicago as well. And we'd like to welcome to the program in the studio with us, Mike Kegley from Illini Guys, a rather new venture involving Brad Sturdy and Larry Smith and a couple of other guys. Mike, welcome to the program. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on today. I had no idea that I would be following Josh Whitman and Dave Kaplan, so uh, the bar has been set set very high. <laughs> well, well, we'll make you proud, or you'll make us proud, one or the other, or maybe both. But uh, before we get into to what you do with Illini Guys, tell me about the creation of that uh, that company and who all's involved. I mentioned a couple of names. I probably have left somebody out, but uh, tell us about how that got going and what your mission is. Yeah, our mission is we want to ke- create a place where uh, an Illini fan can be totally immersed in their Illini fandom. Uh, we try to give you everything we can give you, particularly on uh, basketball and football, but obviously the other sports as well. Um, we just started in January this year. We went live. Uh, Brad Sturdy, obviously, is the anchor. You're talking about a guy who's covered sports for a while, um, you know, 20 years. Now I'm sitting across from Lauren Tate, so 20 years doesn't sound so impressive, <laughs> but normally it sounds great. Um, we have Larry Smith, who is a former CNN anchor and also Turner Network for quite some time. He is uh, also an anchor of an NBC station in Lexington, Kentucky. So a lot of background experience there. I bring kind of the voice of the fan in. I've been an AAU coach for 15 years, um, grew up at Muhammad. Uh, the first article that I read by Lauren Tate when I was a kid was uh, watching Russell Cross go to uh, Purdue instead of Illinois. So <laughs> I, I've been a, I'm a long, you know, longtime Illinois fan. Um, we also have a couple silent investors who are involved in this as well, both uh, Illinois alums, uh, and, and they are obviously uh, very engaged. And so what we're trying to do is we try to cover Illini sports. We want to cover it and give people great analysis, but we do kind of cover it. And I listened to Josh talk about some of the vitriol that goes out towards the kids and the coaches. And, and we're not saying that folks don't make mistakes, et cetera, but we come to it from the standpoint that they're trying their best and that they're competent. So in other words, you know, when we hear these people like, oh, the coach is an idiot, or, you know, you get these, these people, you know, just, just spewing stuff at a, at a student athlete, we come at it from, you know, a totally different standpoint. And, and again, we'll give you the analysis, but we try to, you know, break it down to the sport and, and, and the fact that these really are student athletes who are out there performing in a high pressure situation. And, you know, we want to give them all the support in the world. And, and, you know, if they need to practice, you know, they need to work on their ball handling, we'll say that. But keep it to the game and and keep it more about, um, you know, 
the effort level that they're putting into it, et cetera. You heard what uh, Josh said the other day about, and this morning probably about the the hiring of the third basketball assistant, and uh, but that was good for that's been good for a company like yours, right? Uh, that's uh, generated well, a lot of discussion. Yeah, you know, um, and and just remember, folks, we don't know who the you know potentially opportunity to get another director of basketball operations. So um, no, but the the reality is 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 it has been good. Um, and I will tell you kind of the, the neat thing about it is, is I'm sure that it wasn't in Coach Underwood's business plan. You know, if he's, he's talking to Josh about what he's going to do this year. He didn't write down, I'm going to replace all three of my assistant coaches. That's not that. But, but in life, things happen and you have to adapt. So now what he's doing is he's got a plan. Um, Chester Frazier has been a magnificent hire. When I'm down in Dallas and I'm covering AAU tournaments, I have people see the Illini guys on my shirt and they come up to me, AAU coaches come up to me and they go, you are going to be so happy that they hired Chester Frazier. This guy is a grinder. He doesn't let obstacles get in his way and he is 100% committed to his program. And this is not something I'm asking people about. This is things that people that I don't even know who are coming up to tell me. I heard that last night. That's right. I mean, I think that uh, Chester's coming off very strong. He's a, he's just a workaholic, is what what he is, and he's got some he's got some inside uh, things operating from a recruiting standpoint that we're not we're I'm not familiar with the names, but I'm told that he's he's in deep with some with really good prospects. Yes, yes, and and he is um, he's in he's got obviously prospects that he's been working on and developing mm-hmm. when he was Virginia Tech. And, and it's really, you can't underestimate the fact he's got the East Coast connections, but that whole, you know, south of the, the Dallas area, the Texas, state of Texas, he is known down there. So all of a sudden, when he walks into a gym, I mean, there's no who is that guy. It's like, oh, you're with the Illini now. And I will tell you that I had a couple coaches saying if he can sell K-State, he's going to kill it with the <laughs> Illini. Well, that, there's, there's a certain truth to that. And, and uh, I think Weber's found that out. It's very difficult to sell to players. But um, tell us what you did yesterday. Well, yesterday I was over in Bloomington, and there was a tournament there. Uh, and, and for people who um, don't pay attention to this, in the month of June is when the high school teams get to work with their players. So it's a high school-based tournament. And Owen Freeman was there, uh, Bradley Bourbonnet, six foot ten, junior to be. And he is going to be a top 50 player um i sat you know right behind his father which you know you think oh that's no big deal but his father's taller than he is his father's about 6 11 and the worst thing for a guy like me is his father stays in great shape so i'm i don't have any excuses <laughs> I, I, I just kind of you know we went past that subject real quick but this is a player he plays for mid pro academy and aau which is run out of peoria and i've watched that mid pro academy just literally take the wheels off of teams from large cities who thinks, oh, we're going to play a Central Illinois-based team. They're thinking it's an easy W. Gavin Sullivan and his crew comes in. Of course, you guys know uh, Ty Pence from over in St. Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's quite a few other kids who are very talented on that team. Got a kid from Metamora, Rock Island. Um, but they are one of the best passing teams. And when Owen Freeman yesterday, you know, he was constantly doubled and tripled teamed. And, and teams knew that he was the man. And he could have done a lot of one-on-three basketball that's about himself. 
And instead, he was consistently finding the open man on the floor. But, you know, when, when we think about Kofi, Kofi is a great player, but, but sometimes, you know, passing out of the post is, is, is elusive for him. Well, Owen Freeman will, will literally get the ball in the right post, look over his shoulder, see somebody on the left wing, takes one dribble, and as the defense collapses on him, he gets the ball to the left wing for a wide open three. I mean, if you are a defender trying to help on him, you have to know where your man is. You lose sight of your man, he's going to catch him on a back door, make you look bad, or he'll get the guy for the open three. And if you don't help, he is a really good at using his left hand, his right hand, using the rim to keep people from blocking his shot. And that's just on the offensive end of the book. He's a young guy, as you mentioned, a junior to be, made an unofficial visit to Illinois, and he's made some other visits so far this summer as well. So he's going to explode, it sounds like, and as far as national attention goes. Yeah, if you want to if you want to look at him, he is your quintessential um, Michigan State guy, um, Wisconsin guy, or even the Duke big guys, the well-rounded, very fundamentally sound. You know, I saw him play a couple weeks ago again down in Dallas uh, a few weeks ago, and he had a um, marvelous, uh, his footwork. He played against a taller center than him, seven-footer. And um, I wanted to see how he did against a guy who was bigger than him. And the seven-footer had just couldn't keep up with him because he would use his feet, good drop step, and would get himself in position where he could he could take advantage of that. Um, fundamentally, one of the stronger players I've seen in the post for quite some time. You follow uh, where uh, Underwood goes, I'm sure, because that gives you an indication who he's most interested in. What have you seen? Where, where is he have, finding himself? Well, he was he was. Uh, Watched A.J. Casey play last night. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, a very highly ranked uh, player, um, top 20 in the country by both recruiting services or right thereabouts, six foot eight power forward. Um, he has, he does some of the little stuff you don't see out of a player ranked as highly as him. He's the guy who the ball's on the floor. He's going to go dive for it. Um, he's not too good to, to be that help defender and come across. Um, and, and Coach Underwood was, was watching him uh, last night, and today he's going to be in Bloomington. So that means, uh, you know, Ty Pence is over there, Owen's over there, Owen Freeman. So he's going to be over there taking a look, and, and um, I have to think he is going to be very pleased with what he sees from both of those players. Go ahead, Steve. And uh, some of the other coaches will be out too, and it's good for them, obviously good for the players, but good for the coaches to finally get back out after, what, 15 months roughly of uh, not being able to do it? I I would tell you that, you know, coming from corporate America, I'm tired of seeing people on Zoom calls. Even getting here into the studio is great to be across from people. When we did our media functions with Josh and with Coach B the other day, it was great just to see and talk and get a chance to interact. So you'll see it's a lot of old home day where you have coaches, you know, chatting up with high school coaches that that they haven't had that relationship with over the last 15 months. And then for the players, there was there was a little bit of a little bit of tension because they hadn't been able to play live in front of these type of uh, uh, crowds uh, that had people like that in the crowd. And so you could see a little bit of nerves at the start of each game as as kids kind of played them, you know, played through that. What do you hear on Kofi? I, I think everybody's interested in knowing whether he's coming, has any possibility of coming back. Um, it seems like uh, now he's trying out with the, with the G League. He also had a tryout with the Boston Celtics. Yep. 
so he's he he's moving around. He's he's trying to get involved. But is there going to come a time when he's going to come to the realization that it's going to be a he's going to have to step down? Well, you know, Larry Smith from the NBA, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. Larry Smith uh, has covered the NBA. Obviously, he was an anchor on NBA TV. And one of the things that he's told me, and I listen to what he says is that the NBA finds a way to let you know they want you. Or don't want you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he, did, he didn't add that, but yes, I know exactly where you're going with that. So, so in other words, right now, you know, is Cade Cunningham going to return back next year? No, he's not. And, and we're all pretty certain of that. Um, I don't know what decision Kofi will make. Um, I'm assuming that any player, and, and I would tell any player this, if you have a guarantee from somebody that they'll bring you in the first round, that you can get that three-year guaranteed contract, I would say, you know, you have to take it. And I, I don't care who that player is. Um, but short of that, um, there's some things he can work on with his game that would help him. You know, his ball handling, um, to add it, so he's, he doesn't have to be Marcus Haynes. But if he can get, a, you know, where he can get a couple good dribbles in without that, you know, holding your breath factor that happens when he dribbles. Um, and then also, right now, when he plays with his back to the basket, he's pretty, pretty dominant. But in the NBA, he's going to have to be able to score with his face to the basket. And right now, that's, that's, the ball's gone. He's, it, it, his jump shot isn't quite good enough to do that, and his ball handling precludes that. So there's some things that he could work on at college that would put him in a better place. I would look at Io. You know, Io came back, put himself in a position to almost win the National Player of the Year and then set himself up for a first-round pick. And, and Io worked on his weaknesses in the offseason. I've rarely seen a player who added to his game the way Io did each offseason. If Kofi approaches it with that, that type of mentality, um, there are some physical things that he presents to the NBA that will be problematic with people. And he's also got to be able to guard. The other thing that's going to happen is, is you know, the opposing center is going to pull him out to 23 feet. And that gets a little bit interesting as well. The thing I can't understand is why is it so difficult to pass out of the post? I would think that would be something you could work on and improve. I don't think you can necessarily, that he can necessarily improve his jump shot. I don't think he's going to be a 15 to 18 foot jump shooter. I don't see that. But I could see where if you really, and, and I don't think they emphasize that enough because I think when they got the ball in, I think that the coach said, score, yeah. you know, and draw fouls and score. But but the, the pass from the post should be something that you could do. Well, with, with Plummer, Plummer's one of the, I mean, the guys, I've already heard reports that his shooting ability is underrated. Yeah. Well, with, right. With Podzimski there now. Um, my, my assumption is, is the way he's shooting. You obviously you have, um, you know, Demonte with his high percentage, low usage. Um, maybe what we'll see is coaches will put more of a premium. I'm, I'm trying to remember; it's slipping my mind. The, either the first play of the one of the first plays of the first game or the first plays of the Big Ten season. Kofi had a nice cross court pass for an open three, and then we didn't see it the rest of the season. So the capability is there, and and I, I, I'm. I'm hoping that he can add that because I think you're correct because this team is going to have much better shooters because, you know, from what I'm hearing of Podzimski, the kid can shoot and he wants the ball. So maybe we'll be in a position where Kofi will be more influenced to do that. And the more he shows on a court, the more that, that he's going to improve his draft status. And, and one of the interesting things on our Eye on the Illini podcast, Bruce Douglas was on, and he said the biggest concern he had was that – Kofi wouldn't have to evolve his game, and he could be pretty dominant. And he said it's going to take Kofi pushing himself to add to his game if he comes back. 
and and he needs to add exactly what you're talking about, some of that passing, et cetera. We'll give you a little free advertising here. Tell the folks how to find out more about Illini Guys and what you've got going. Perfect. Uh, you can find us at IlliniGuys.com. Right there, we have uh, an annual membership, $99. You can be in the know. It doesn't matter whether you live in Champaign, whether you live in Chicago, you're halfway across the country, you're halfway across the world. If you want to know about what's going on with Illini Sports, IlliniGuys.com is where to be. We have a a seven-day money-back guarantee, so we have people jump on board. And to be honest, we don't have very many people who don't take us up and stay with us for the full year. You can also go monthly if you would prefer to do that. Um, one of the things that I, that I can't give you a total thing on, but um, we like to think that we do basketball as good as anybody. Uh, a lot of that is due to the credit of uh, Brad Sturdy, who's just phenomenal with basketball, and Kedrick Prince, who is our uh, director of recruiting, who's out there every weekend. We give you analysis. My son helps, helps me coach AAU basketball, and he's, he does player breakdowns, et cetera. And on Monday, we're going to have an announcement where we are going to significantly, significantly add to our football coverage. And we are very proud and excited. So we're putting the finishing touches on that. But I think you'll see that um, uh, as we came together and we started Illini Guys, we wanted to take advantage of that great uh, basketball team and start things up. And Josh Whitman, by adding Coach B, has given us opportunity to improve our uh, coverage of football, and that's that's starting on Monday. We're really excited. Good stuff. IlliniGuys.com. Mike Kegley, thanks for your time. Thank you, sir. We'll let you get on the road to Bloomington to watch some more basketball, perhaps. Thanks. We'll take a break and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk coming up at 1030. Howard Griffith will join us, former Illini great and uh, BTN commentator. Back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Open line at the moment, 217-356-9397. If you would like to join us, coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll talk some Big Ten and Illinois football with Howard Griffith. But uh, right now, anything's fair game, including baseball and how bad the Cardinals (laughs) are playing right now. They've lost, what is it now? They've lost... 11 of their last 15 games. Well, you could say they won four of the last. <laughs> you could. <laughs> and Mike Schilt will tell you that, that. Don't forget, we swept the Marlins. Well, all the statistics are really negative. I mean, it's in terms of their ability as, as they need another left-handed hitter pretty badly because the right-handed hitters aren't doing it. And, they, and they're facing more right-handed pitching naturally because other teams know that. And if you just if you go over all the kinds of different statistics that have, and compare them with other teams in the league, they're way down. And I find it interesting because it's just it seemed about a month ago, we had it in the, we had the list of the top teams in in baseball, and the Cardinals were number two in the News Gazette. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, I don't think so. Well, we said at the time that's awful early <laughs> for uh, for a poll like that. But yeah. last night they faced a left-hander. In Atlanta, and they'd had some success against left-handers. Unfortunately, you don't see them very often, and it didn't help last no, night. No, no. Because uh, Carlos Martinez this was is, back to his this ineffective. This is not self. a good offensive team. It's 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 we've seen we saw that last year very clearly uh, late, and we're seeing it again. Now they have some potential, but uh, it just isn't there. I don't. I'm not sure what you do. I mean, I don't. I I don't see any resolution to the. Starting pitching, and I don't see any resolution to the hitting either. 
Let's go to the phones. We do have the lines open. Let's go to a Mike in Bloomington who's given us a call. Go ahead, Mike. Hi, Steve. Lauren, uh, I was over at the uh, basketball venue and just watched Owen Freeman play in normal community. Um, they got beat really bad, but uh, he, he looks good. But the kid that stole the show, and I have to be honest, was my nephew, Zachary Cleveland from Cleve- uh, from Normal. He's a uh, 6'6 power forward, 6'7, and he schooled Owen Freeman today. Uh, they beat him by 30 points. What's uh? And Normal also Normal also had uh, a couple of young big men, six uh, seven south no six nine sophomore, uh, with really great hands and. They're going to be a special team, and they got a transfer from Bloomington, Famous French, their, their best player. Normal community is going to be a really super team this year. Uh, Tell me more about uh, your nephew. What's, what's his size? He's 6'7". Okay. And the year in school? He, took a, he, went, to Liberty. he went to Liberty last weekend, uh, and uh, he has a trip to Wolford, but I, I'm not sure he's going to follow through with that one. Uh, but he has several mid-major offers, uh, ISU. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, Mike, we appreciate and, uh, the call. Enjoy watching the basketball over there. Thanks for taking time to yeah, call there's us. Some great, there's some great, some great players. Uh, nice to see okay. everybody out again. Thanks. Yep, good to hear from you. Let's go uh, to Paul in Champaign. I think he wants to talk some Cardinal baseball. Hey, Paul, go ahead. Yes. Hold on a second here. Well, yes. You really can't put us I'm on hold, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, 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 Lauren. I was going to ask Lauren a question. If I am right, the Surrey Cardinals, in the last four games, three of the four games, they've only had three hits, and four of the last six games, they've only had three hits. If I am right, I don't know if you can stick to that. Is that some type of record or anything like that? Well, I don't know. If, no, I don't suppose it's a record, but it's it's a bad average. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Uh, I, I, there, there's just so much lacking in, in offensively in, in run scoring. We've seen it for a while, and, and it shouldn't be that way with, you know, with the additions uh, that they've made. And, and, and but it, it ju- it's just not it's just not working. I I don't know. I, I, I watch well, anyway. it like, like everybody else, and, and I, the real problem to me, the real problem is starting pitching. I just don't know how much longer you can. Go with Martinez. I mean, you got a forty-year-old. It's it's the ace of the staff. And Wainwright, you got Flaherty hurt. I don't think Kim is able to get people out at the major league level consistently. And I mean, they just don't have a starting rotation. It's been it's something is uh, that you you can't find somebody just to you can't go down to your bullpen and say, okay, you're going to be a starter now and, and be effective. So there's no answer. Well, I don't I don't see an answer. Is what I'm saying. Well, I was also noticing last time about Sportsman's West. Uh, Tyler O'Neill is the only Cardinal who has double-digit home runs. He's got 15. And then uh, it's Arenado and Goldsmith. One of them has nine, that one has eight. Whereas the Cubs have got several guys who are close to 20. But they're complaining about the Cubs because they only hit home runs. So I want I wanted to talk to David Kaplan about making trades for the Cubs to get rid of some people who can help people. Like I think Jason Hayward should be sent to the White Sox. <laughs> and I, I don't think the, the White Mets. Sox want Jason Hayward. I don't know. I mean, what's he batting, yeah, 170? Yeah, but they don't have any outfielders. They're awful in the outfield. Well, Eaton's hurt now, and Lewis Roberts is hurt. I don't think they want to pick that's up what, a Hayward's salary. 
But uh, this is well, the I end. Of, I think this is the end of it, isn't it, Steve? And this is the end of. I think so. Yeah. And same maybe Baez the Mets and get some young pitching, or and I would send Rizzo to the Yankees. The Yankees need a left-hand hitter, you know, and try to get some prospects. And that way you can keep your core. You have uh, Art Bryant, Wisdom, Hap, who isn't it much, Contreras, Horner. You still have a. The Cubs are just good enough right now to win the division and probably won't want to make any major trades to give away any talent that that could win the pennant for them this year. They could could win the division, that is. As far as winning in the playoffs, I don't think their pitching is good enough. Hey, Paul, appreciate your call. Let's squeeze in another one here before our break at the bottom of the hour. Alan in Montrose. Hey, where you been, Alan? Well, I've been on time quite a bit. I'm kind of rained out right now. It's supposed to be in 19. Uh, I did go to the Cardinal game this week on Wednesday, the one to nothing game. It was nice to be at the ballpark, but boy, you talk about a boring game. That <laughs> was. The pitching was good, but there was nothing else. Uh, there wasn't even hardly any hard hit balls to speak of. But uh, I'm pretty much with Lauren, which is shocking to you guys, about Cardinals, they need they got problems in the starting pitching. I don't know why we're still messing with Martinez. I mean, how many chances does the guy get? And yeah, he pitched a good game the other day, which gave him some more starts. But you know, in the long run, it's not going to work. Absolutely, he he's five hundred pitcher at the best. And I said this team from get go, this team is a five hundred team. Even when they got eight games over, I said this team's not that good. We're a 500 team. That's pretty much what we are. And well, they, I, I think they're 17 and one against bad teams, and they're below 500 uh, considerably uh, against uh, good teams. I mean, they're just they're able to beat the bad teams, and that's what we see. That's what we saw in the Marlins, and that's what you know. It, it, that won't work in the long run because they got games coming up with San Francisco and and San Diego and Los Angeles that are just going to knock them yeah. around. I'm afraid. Uh, did they win the game before last night? I thought they lost that game, but somebody told me they had won. I'm talking about the Thursday night game. No, they lost. They lost both nights, Thursday yeah, and Friday. That's what I thought. Hey, Alan, okay. thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's uh, squeeze in Steve here from Princeton. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I got a question for Lauren. You know, in his career, he's interviewed and been uh, able to meet several different acquaintances and so forth. And I watched the Kennedy Awards the other night. And I said, I wonder if Lauren Tate's ever met Dick Van Dyke. They grew up. He's a little bit older than Lauren. But I just wondered if Lauren had ever had an interview or met Dick Van Dyke. No, no. I've never met him. Nope. Along with a lot of other people I haven't met. (laughs) But you've met a lot of people. But I thought, you know, being from Danville, I just wondered if Lauren had ever met him. Yeah. No, I haven't. I I haven't. Good question, Steve. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Yep. Can you dance like Dick Van Dyke? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure you can. (laughs) I've seen that. It's uh, 1033. (laughs) We'll take a break and be back with more on Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk after this. It is 1035, Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. Steve Kelly with you till 11 o'clock. Welcome into the program, a longtime friend. Howard Griffith from uh, Big Ten Network, former Illini great. How you doing, Howard? I'm doing well, guys. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. We wanted to touch base with you. A little summertime here before we got uh, too busy, but uh, 
we got football coming up. The Illini are going to be on the big stage on week zero against Nebraska. And it's kind of exciting to to not only anticipate a full season, but uh, to get the fans back in the stands. I'm sure you agree. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. It's going you know, to be exciting to have the fans back a part of things and, you know, really having things open back up and people being safe and, and getting back to some sort of sense of normalcy is uh, something I know that we're all looking forward to. And I think it's going to be a really uh, a fun college season, a lot of great storylines, particularly in the Big Ten. So I'm just anxious to get started. We were hanging out the other day a little bit with Brett Bielma, and he mentioned in passing that uh, when he was looking at this job and interested in it, one of the guys he talked to was a guy that uh, – that he had known for a little while, had met and talked to over the years, and that was yourself. Uh, do you remember that? Remember those conversations? <laughs> I do remember those conversations, and uh, you know, I'm just happy it ultimately worked out. You know, obviously, you know, Josh is a, a really bright young athletic director, doing some great things at the university, and you know, he knows what he wants, he knows what he wants to do, and you know, listen, when, when you're hiring coaches sometimes you're going to make a mistake uh and i'm not saying that that hiring coach smith was a mistake but it just didn't work out but you know he swung for the fences and and was able to make that happen and now he's reset and he's going to go with brett bielema and you know i think the fan base is really excited about the success that he has had uh at the college ranks particularly when he was up north at uh, wisconsin so if we can get some of that success going uh recruiting going and here in the state of illinois uh, i think um good things are going to be you know, on the horizon for the Illini. Griff, this is Lauren. Uh, it seems like the, the big difference is we went from a pro coach to a, back to a college coach. And uh, have you seen over time, does the, the pro coaches, particularly as recruiters, is that a good fit for colleges? It just didn't seem to work for Lovey. It didn't. And I think to me it's more about the personality and also to me more about the people that you, you hire and you surround yourself with. You know, to me, I thought, uh, Coach Smith was an unbelievable guy at the closing table, right? But with his personality, you have to have great recruiters, a, a team of great recruiters that can bring that player and that family to the closing table. That was the issue uh, in, in Champaign. They weren't getting to the closing table where Coach Smith could be at his strength. And, you know, you got to love recruiting. You know, it's, it's 365. You look at the elite programs that are around the country, they are recruiting relentlessly. It's it's something, it's a way of life. And if you, doesn't matter if you're the position coach, it doesn't matter whether you're on the janitorial staff, it doesn't matter what you're doing inside of that program, you live and die recruiting and you want to compete. And they just weren't competing at all levels uh, at the university on the football side. And, you know, that ends up showing and showing itself over time. You know, uh, Griff, I don't think that Lovey had a, a specific area that he was strong in, and I, I know that uh, you know when you look back at the numbers, you see that particularly in Illinois, we just seem to overlook a lot of now. Now uh, it, I, I see where Bielema is making a strong move in Illinois, but these are not the best players either, Griff. These are not the top players in Illinois, but do yeah. you have to do you have to work your way up in that regard? Yeah, I think you do. I think you have to do a great job recruiting the schools, right, and that head coach, uh, those players that are there. Um, and the players that are eligible to be uh, be recruited at that point. And if, even when you're going to lose, you're going to lose some of the top players that are, that are coming out in the state each and every year. That's going to happen. You're competing against Notre Dame. You're competing against Ohio State. You're competing against the best of the best around the country. So it's always going to be tough to try to be able to get those guys. Excuse me. Hey, 
Um, so it's going to be tough to get them. But if you can, if you can leave that school, right, and, and that head coach says, hey, listen, Coach Bielema, it, it just didn't work out because my, my kid had some other opportunities. But you guys did an unbelievable job of recruiting they're going to steer that next kid and say, hey, they're going to do the right thing by you at the University of Illinois. So it's a process. It truly is a process, and it takes time. Um, but I think uh, Coach understands that. I think what's going to be important for them this year is those, uh, what is it, 22, 25 super seniors that I yep. think will be able to help them yep. uh, through this process. Visiting with Howard Griffith, some talk about expanding the college football playoff. We go from four to now talking about 12 teams. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Well, I, I'll say this. I, I come in from two perspectives, right? I, I think when, as a college football fan, you see 12 teams having an opportunity to be able to compete um, for a championship, that's a good thing for college athletics. Now, are there 12 teams every year that, that can win a national title? I don't think there is. But you have more people involved. You have more schools involved. And I, one of the things I really like is that now um, that number five, I think it's five, six, seven, uh, eight may be hosting, are going to be hosting games on campus. So can you imagine uh, a USC going and playing in Madison? Can you imagine an Oregon going to Iowa? So I think they're just going to be so a Florida coming up here and, and playing at Northwestern. So you know, I just think that there are so many opportunities to get, get the fan bases so much more engaged uh, in the college game once again at you know, listen, it, it, nothing is ever perfect. I, I think there's still some issues that when you start around player safety, I think there are going to be issues around uh, how many players decide to opt out in the timeline. It's, it's going to be a uh, – it's not going to be one of these quick playoff type deals. There are going to be a couple of these games that are going to have two weeks in between them. Um, so, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch, but, but I think it was, it was on the horizon. It was coming. Uh, and I'm just glad that it's going to, again, try to keep as many teams and as many fan bases engaged. A place like Cincinnati now all of a sudden knows that, you know, they have a chance when they're playing well to be, be in the playoffs. I kind of think of it like teams in college basketball, uh, if you make the Final Four, you've had a lot of success. I think now uh, we're going to look at the college teams. If you made the 12-team playoff, you've had a great deal of success that year. Another couple of minutes with Howard Griffith. Speaking of issues on the horizon, what are your thoughts on the name, image, likeness, the NIL proposition that's out there as far as a play, players being compensated? Yeah, I love it. I love the opportunity for, for players to have a chance to, um, you know, really cash in and make some money. But, but I also look at it this way. I think many people uh, are looking at it from a 30,000-feet uh, view. Uh, of looking at that top quarterback, that top basketball player. But I think if you look around college athletics and look at some of the most valuable Twitter Twitter names and social media, they're in non-revenue sports. They're in volleyball. They're in track. Um, they're, they're in golf. Those are some of the young people who have built unbelievable following. And I think those are some of the people that are really going to be able to cash in. It's going to be big for schools, too. The schools are going to have to try to, you know, try to adapt to it and, and get involved and, and understand it. You know, it, it's, that's a part of the process, too, building these young folks' images uh, up, making sure that they're doing the right thing. Now, the other thing is this. You know, everyone wants to make money, but there's also some, some issues there, too. You know, these young people can't go out and make, you know, adult mistakes. And, and it happens as college, college players, as college students. I know I made mistakes. Thank goodness Twitter wasn't around then and all the cameras weren't out. But, you know, you've got to 
they're also going to learn that, you know, you have to really be dialed in and focused. And it's just not going to be as easy as, you know, you putting your name on a dotted line. There's going to be a lot of work that's going to be involved in, you know, building your brand and doing some of those things that, you know, it, it could be, you know, that's just one more thing that's going to be added to these uh, young people's plates. But I think it's a, a great opportunity for them to, to, to make some money and do some, some great things with that and really get their branding off to a, a great start. Griff, are you going to make the tour this year of the of the fourteen campuses uh, during the foot uh, preparatory to the football season? Yeah, so so we just had a conference call about that. I think it was Wednesday. So we're not going to do it as big as it's been in the past um, because I think there's still some schools that are trying to figure out what they're going to be doing uh, as far as padded practices are concerned. Because this year, I think guys that uh, the padded practices have, have gone down to about nine. So. It, normally we try to get those in, so it's going to be tough for us, but we're not going to have the bus, not going to do a big set, but uh, Coach DiNardo, Joshua Perry, and Dave Repson and I are all going to be uh, going around and trying to see as many teams as we can, and hopefully the teams that we don't get to see practice and pads will have the opportunity to uh, maybe sit in the film room and watch a little film of some of their padded practices. But I'm excited for the opportunity to be get back out on the road because I could tell the difference in watching the games in the studio this year uh, not being able to go out last year and see these teams and have an opportunity to lay eyes on them and have a chance to talk to the coaches. It was a big difference. So now that I'm going to be able to get back on the road, I'm excited about that opportunity. We'll be awful, we'll be awful eager to talk to you about Illinois because we have not – I don't think we'll get to see them. Do you, Steve? I don't think we'll be able to see them all, all fall. I, I think all their practices will be closed except for 15 minutes when they're warming up. And the, So we won't know personnel. We won't know – uh, what their schemes are, we won't we won't know much of anything. I don't yeah. think. Yeah, and it's going to be like that. It really is. But but I truly believe this too. I think as we get closer and closer, I think some restrictions as far as the the, the teams are concerned are going to start to loosen up. I just don't think people are really all that anxious about trying to say, okay, well we can open up our practices and let people see. But I also see the the issue at Illinois too, right? You got a new coaching staff and yep. they want to keep things as close to the vest as possible. But I'm going to tell you, you know, Brett, Brett's a great guy. And I think he's going to do as much as he can to make sure that, that the media that are covering his team has all the information that they, that they need. And if not, you know, call me and I, I'll make sure you guys. Need <laughs> hey, Howard, as always, it's great talking to you. Look forward to seeing you in person here before too long. Thanks for your time this morning. Hey, guys, sorry for the noise. I'm at a little uh, breakfast uh, for my high school coach, J.W. Smith. So I'm hanging out with him. Okay. Day deal. Very good. Spend a little time with him. So uh, I'm going to get back to that group. But, guys, anytime, I love being on with you. And uh, continue to stay safe and enjoy the summer, rest of the summer. And All happy right. Father's Day to you as well. Thanks, guys. Be great. You bet. Howard Griffith with us at 1046. We'll take a break and have an open line the rest of the way here on Lionel Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Stay with us. 1051. We've got uh, eight or nine minutes left on the show if you'd like to join us. What's on my mind? Yeah. Well, golf's always on my mind. <laughs> U.S. Open. Yeah. U of I Open. Yeah. Going, That's going on. on right now, isn't it? It is. That always goes on Father's Day weekend. So I don't know if they had uh, any kind of delay this morning, but they uh, tea time started at 7 for that, and there was a little bit of threatening weather peaking its eye on this part of the uh, state. I don't know if it actually slowed anything down, but right now it's sunny, 69 degrees. So the U of I Open is today and tomorrow on the Orange Course 
at Savoy, same as the U.S. Open, although that one's at Torrey Pines, not on the Orange Course. But uh, um, I've watched it the last couple of days because I love major golf tournaments. Me too. Indeed. I'm not quite into this one quite as much well, that's yet. that's because you don't know the player. That's right. And you don't, you know, I never heard of Bland. I just. <laughs> he's an English guy. And, and it made the tournament kind of bland. <laughs> I think he's won once on the uh, European tour somewhere. It's, it's, uh, so many new names really uh, affect my interest. If, if uh, you know, if Mickelson was in it, I mean, if it was in contention or something, then I'd be more interested. And, and there are a number of players like that. Uh, I, I just, uh, I, I don't know who to to attach on to right now in this in this particular tournament. Richard but Bland. I'll watch it today. Yep, he's a co-leader. Richard Bland and Russell Henley are both uh, five under par. Louis Oosthuizen is four under, along with Matthew Wolf. And there's a bunch of guys within striking range. Oh sure. You know, at uh, three, two, and one, and even the guys at even are having a chance. It's a long way to go, 36 holes. Right. Let's go back to the phones and say hello <coughs> to uh, J.D. and Mattoon. What's on your mind, J.D.? Good morning, guys. Good show as usual. Uh, I had the good fortune to uh, accompany my grandson to an Ohio State uh, camp, on uh, football camp on Wednesday, and what an eye-opener. I've been to Ohio Stadium before, but never been to their football facilities, practice, and offices, and so on. And my goodness, that's that just broadcast big time operation uh, from the moment you walk in. It's just I was stunned. I really was. Great facilities, people. They met us in the parking lot, escorted us around, and I don't know how the Illinois, the Purdue, the Indianas ever catch up with that. They don't. That's the answer to that. They don't. Well, after seeing those facilities and, and how they operate, Lauren, I agree with you 100%. I mean, it was just, you know, just stunning. It really was. I mean, I'm not saying that our facilities are bad or what's going on are bad, and I, I'm sure Brett's going to get after it. But, man, we've got a long, long way to go. Well, I've, I've made uh, that statement many times in the past, and I've been wrong at times because Illinois has beaten Ohio State over the years from time to time and had one good run there uh, some years back. But I remember when I was in about 1966 or 7, I was asked to speak to the Monticello Rotary. And the guy, and one of the questions was exactly what you asked, how will Illinois do against Ohio State? I said, Illinois can't compete with Ohio State. I said, they'll never beat Ohio State. And I was wrong. We did. But but it just looks impossible when you consider that it, this is an NFL preparatory school. That's what it is. These are professional players, and they don't have any other sports in, in Columbus, a professional in football. They don't, they don't play football professionally in, in the biggest city in Ohio. They do in Cleveland, they do in Cincinnati, but they don't in Columbus. And because they're not going to let football in there at, at a professional level, they've got their own professional team, and it's Ohio State. Well, I, I didn't realize what their campus town was like. They're not building big skyscrapers along their campus street, high street. They're developing that as a business area, restaurants, things like that. It was just the greatest atmosphere, and I can see why my grandson was dazzled. I can see why other kids are dazzled by that. 
Um, it was just an eye-opener. I just wanted to let you know, and I, I appreciate your comments. Thank you. Yep. yep, thank you, J.D., for the call. Still have the lines open, 217-356-9397. If you want to jump in here in the next uh, four or five minutes, we'd uh, love to hear from you. We got a chance to see what happens, uh, and we've been in the Smith Center prior, Lauren, you and I. We had a chance on uh, Thursday with some other media members to see what goes on on an official visit when the recruits are in town and what some of the things they go through. And it was quite enlightening and uh, got to, to meet and talk a little bit with some of the coaches. Uh, Tank Wright, the uh, strength and conditioning coach, made me feel like doing some squats, although I refrained from doing that. <laughs> but uh, well, it, it, was, it was kind of a neat little situation. You know, it's interesting that this year you can actually test players, uh, recruits, on campus, mm-hmm. high school recruits, you can run them. You can't use a football, I don't think. I, I don't think you can. That's right. I, 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 and you can't do certain uh, weight training things. You can't do, but there are certain things you can do. And you can test them in two or three different ways. And I guess that helps in determining. Because I've, I've seen uh, those who visit, so those athletes who visit say they liked the workout. They enjoyed having the workout at Illinois. And I'm thinking, what does that workout mean? I didn't know they could run. I didn't know you could time them in a 40. Right. And you can. Another stupid rule. You you got football players in and you can't have a football out. (laughs) Come on. Well, (laughs) I'm sure that is accurate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, yeah, they mentioned that when we went and we saw the the indoor facility, which has been there a while. um, The actual field looked a little different. They've added on to that some. They got a little... Uh, space off to the side for offensive linemen mm-hmm. to, to work away from yep. everybody else. And uh, it was good to see and to learn more about the, the nutrition program. There's a lot of layers and a lot of people involved over there. Now they've got guys that are in charge of branding. Yeah, branding, and, and you got people in charge of taking pictures. Right. And, and it's just so many people. It's such a big operation. The cost of it's just got to be enormous. Now, I don't know if J.D. and his grandson got to see those kind of facilities over there at Ohio State when you were there for a camp. Maybe they did. But uh, uh, they're similar and uh, probably uh, a little bit ahead of the game just because they always have been. But this, what I'm trying to say is this one here is impressive. Now, how many guys make a decision on facilities or the fact that there's a couple of bowling alleys and a barbershop in the football building, I don't know. Maybe if you didn't have it and, you you, you know, then you would walk away not impressed. Maybe that would impact you on your recruiting decision. But we're not seeing the top stars. We're not seeing four and five stars coming to Illinois yet. And until that happens, you're if, if you're asking – well, I, I shouldn't say this because I, I see what Iowa State's doing and I see what Indiana has done. And so that, that's too, that causes me to pause when I start to say something like this. That you can't, it, it's been shown that teams can run. Look, look what Northwestern has done. Two out of the last three years, they won the Big Ten division, the Western division. And that's a major, if Illinois could do something in that level, that would be a tremendous accomplishment and would mean a lot to recruiting. I see where Caesars Sportsbook in Las Vegas has Illinois winning five games. In football? In football this year. Wow, that's a big... Uh, Not five Big Ten games, but five, I understand. five games. Well, that's a big jump from what we saw earlier yeah. uh, by some some uh, organization picked them to win three. We are out of time, Mr. Tate. Appreciate your time, as always. Thanks to Josh Whitman for spending 
uh, the best part of the uh, first hour, or uh, a major part of the first hour on the show. David Kaplan is also with us, Mike Kegley from IlliniGuys.com, and Howard Griffith also joined us. Thanks to Dave Leak, our producer on the show. For Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. This is WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. Happy Father's Day.